this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we want to talk about uh, certain episodes from the last year, uh, with 2021 coming to a close and 2022 about to start. Uh, we thought it would be important to uh, talk about a few uh, a few episodes that we each chose, um, where there are some important themes that we, we both thought would be really important to think about going into uh, the new year. So to do this, we each selected five episodes um, with some of these themes. Um, a couple of these are interviews, um, and some of these are you know conversations between Brian and myself. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and in order to do this, we'll, we'll mention both the episode number. So if people want to go back and listen to some of these previous episodes, um, whether you've heard them or not, to uh, you know either refresh refresh your mind on some of these ideas or maybe to, to listen to some of these conversations. Um, you know, with, with the year coming to a close, we thought this would be the perfect time for all that. So, um, Brian, you want to get us started with uh, the first episode that, that you chose? Sure. And I'm going to go back a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, this was a little bit earlier in the year. In uh, episode 27, we did an interview with Christina Rolo and Dave DeHaan. And... One of the, I think, um, best points that came out of that interview was this concept of everything is practice. And uh, Dave was talking about how they were working with Victor Inescu, you know, what a top 25 player, and how they introduced this concept to him that, you know, everything that you do is practice, including tournament play. Um, and that really resonated with me. I ended up really expanding on that and, and writing writing a blog post that uh, um, was really for showing to a lot of my clients about how to look at everything that you do as practice on the way to becoming the best player you can become. And you know, on the face of it, it's hard for a lot of players to look at tournaments or competition as practice, but in reality, um, it's a great way to look at it. It can dial down the pressure a little bit, but it also puts the priority on improvement and learning, not just on winning. And as we know, you know, tennis is such a long-term development sport. It's it's really important to emphasize that learning and improvement process, the mastery of the various skills, and competing being one of those skills. Um, and one of the things that I decided to add on to that concept of everything is practice is having the courage to play the way you would like to play in in competition because so many of us um, feel feel a little bit too much pressure for various reasons and we may become conservative or tentative or or may some of us may react the other way and become reckless and, and try to end points quickly and rush. And um, what ends up happening then is you begin to perfect a suboptimal way of playing in competition. And the idea is, now we want to practice the way we would like to play in competition, get more reps on that. And so the way you can do that is, um, is looking at everything that you do as practice. And, and they told the story about how Victor didn't initially buy in to the philosophy, um, but uh, eventually he did, and he ended up going from something in the maybe the 140s or even lower than that back into the top 20s on the ATP tour. 
Um, and so really fantastic story, I thought, you know, and so that that's definitely an episode I thought that was powerful listening to, the, uh, you know, especially Dave talk about that journey with Victor Inescu, you know, and since that time, I've heard of some other pro players who use that similarly. Um, so I thought that was really uh, something everybody should go back and listen to. So that was episode 27. Yeah, I I also took away that, that that same quote, that everything is practice quote. And I think um, one of the benefits is that by developing that, that sort of a mindset, it, it helps you gain more perspective. It helps you understand that that one match or one tournament is not the end all be all can be very easy to catastrophize and to believe that, Hey, if I, if I don't do well in this match coming up, I'm not a good tennis player. If, you know, if I, if I lose to this player who's ranked below me or has a lower UTR rating, then that says a lot about me as a person. But I think starting to gain this perspective that number one, everybody goes through that, even the top professional players. Um, but that that's part of the journey and that, by going through these experiences, you can, number one, develop some resilience, and number two, hopefully you can learn from them. And, you know, by viewing them as practice, I think that really helps. Um, it, it helps because you're able to, you know, you're able to take it as a teachable moment rather than take, saying that this match or this tournament is the, the most important match I'm ever going to play. You say, hey, this is another match along this journey of, of my life, you know, and my goals as a tennis player, my sort of life project, if you want to um, think of it that way. So, um, no, I, I really like that that quote, and I thought that that um, that episode has a lot of valuable um, a lot of valuable insights from from the two of them. Yeah, for sure. So, what's the next one you'd like to talk about? So, um, I'd like to also go go back, and I think. Uh, all, all of the ones that I've chosen are a little bit further back, um, but I'd like to go back to episode 25, which is our episode on mindfulness. Um, and mindfulness is is a word that I think in in 2021, you know, I'm sure going into next year as well, is is has become a part of the um, broader lexicon where where people are using that word, you know, frequently, but there's not always a clear understanding of what this concept is and how it can be built, um, how it can be built or trained or practiced, um, you could say. Um, so in this episode, we, first of all, we define this concept um, and we discuss how it can be important for tennis players. Um, we discuss, you know, did some different ways that this can be trained, um, including meditation, but not just through meditation. We talked about mindful walks, mindful eating, Brian, I remember you bringing up um, this concept of savoring, savoring the present moment, which you know is connected to uh, positive psychology. Um, so I, I think this episode, you know, we we talked a lot how you, utilizing some of these skills, like meditation, for instance, and you know, developing a breathing practice, uh, can have a lot of benefits for a tennis player. And you you see this. I mean, whether it's Novak Djokovic um, closing his eyes and you know, it's seeming to intentionally bring um, you know, bring his attention to his breathing during changeovers at times or other players that we see um, or, you know, players that, that practice these skills off court. Um, it's, it has become, number one, it's become more visible um, where, where we see players, you know, practicing their breathing, um, being more intentional about it, you know, even talking more openly about it. Um, but, you know, the, I, I think now the benefits, now, number one, the benefits, but also the steps to to um, 
building, you know, building a mindfulness practice are a lot more established. So, you know, we talk about how you can use certain apps or, or different methods to become more mindful and how, um, you know, I, I think why this is important is because, you know, we've talked a lot about how, um, I don't think it's important for a couple of reasons, but we've talked a lot about how in a high pressure moment, you're, you're likely to, to not feel the same as you would in, you know, the first point of a match or, um, you know, three, all 15 love, let's just say. Um, and when you're feeling tight, starting to develop the skill set to number one, be able to loosen up some of your tension. Um, so whether that's through breathing, whether that's through, you know, progressive muscle relaxation or things like that, um, but also to be able to breathe and to gain some clarity. Um, and we talked about perspective, right. And, um, in, in the episode with Christina and Dave, um, and the, in terms of that, everything is practice mindset. But I think, you know, once you can breathe and, and take a couple deep breaths and start to slow things down, it's easier to gain that perspective. So um, I, I think that this episode really stood out to me um, on mindfulness. And I think it's, you know, I, I think mind, developing some sort of a mindfulness practice is something that um, would, would really benefit all, all tennis players. And, you know, and I think it's just a matter of figuring out what works best for you. Yeah. And I think, you know, we hate to talk about mindfulness as like having to have benefits because that's not really how it's discussed in a lot of sort of the Eastern philosophy, but it does have some benefits, it, you know, through practice. And one of the ones that I think is really important from a tennis player's perspective is uh, the skill of non-judgment which is so hard in tennis because after every point, it's an invitation to judge something, you know, good point, bad point, you know, mistake, won the point, um, good player, bad player, et cetera, right? So I think that's an important aspect. And uh, certainly everything you mentioned, I think, is is, uh, is great because just even learning to be aware of your breath and control your breath uh, in, in stressful or adverse situations is really important to keeping your, your mental faculties uh, online so that you can deal with that situation, right? So I think those are really great benefits for it. Um, I think the next episode that I chose was episode 56. We did a great interview with David Samuel talking about his uh, book, Locker Room Power, um, Building the Mind of an Athlete. And I wanted to concentrate on the concept of locker room power and what that what that is. Um, and so... Um, because I think we had a pretty in-depth conversation. And, and so the way David defines locker room power is this aura around a player that other people sense, you know, that this player is very professional. This player is, you know, is very good, is, is someone who is probably going to win, you know, this match, right? And a lot of players succumb to other players' locker room power. They succumb to that aura. And I think like the greatest example of this is, is Roger Federer back in, say, 2005, 2006, where other than Rafael Nadal, he pretty much owned the entire tour. And most people, when they went out on the court, it looked like they assumed that they were going to lose in some fashion, right? And so David tells a story about how, you know, if you're playing, say, Novak Djokovic and he hits a passing shot, you're just a little step slower because like, oh, it's Novak and he hit that shot. But if you're playing somebody else who's maybe around your ranking um, and you're you're facing that someone else and 
that someone else hits a very similar passing shot, you're probably on top of it because you're not giving away anything sort of mentally there. Um, so it, he also talked about how we all develop this locker room power because it can be developed at any level, whether you're, you know, a 3-0 club player or, you know, uh, the highest level of the game. You know, within your sphere, you can be that player. And one of the ways that you do it is by being as professional as possible in in your training and how you conduct yourself, etc. So I thought in that interview, there were just a lot of great nuggets from David about um, you know how to develop your professionalism, how to develop your own aura around you, as well as, you know, not to succumb to the locker room power of others. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that was um, that was great. I remember he was talking about uh, Andy Murray um, and Andy Murray's match against uh, Stefano Sissipas, and uh, how you know when when Sissipas was taking a bathroom break and the crowd was you know was booing, Andy Murray was was sort of exerting some of that locker room power and you know making his presence known and talking to the umpire and wasn't going to take it lightly, I guess you could say. Um, but I think it's, I think it's important. And, you know, as you said, we see this, not just at, not just at the highest levels, but at, at the club level, at the college level, high school level. Um, I mean, I, I think every, at every tennis club, at every park, there is that, that best player. There's that player that is dominant, that has the reputation, that's maybe the club champ. Um, and whether or not you're actually in that position, I think starting to develop some of these, um, some of these techniques like, like the professionalism and the different steps in order to get there or whether it's your body language um, or even your, your actual presence in the locker room or around the club, around the park, whatever it may be um, around campus um, is, is really important to, to building that into um, I think instilling, instilling the idea, not just within others that you're the person to be, but also within yourself. I think, uh, this helps, you know, you build uh, that that self confidence and that self belief as well. Um, so, no, I, I thought that was a, a really really important episode. Um, another one I wanted to uh, talk about is um, episode twenty six, um, where we talk about the power of routines, and um, you know, spe- specifically we we get into um, pre performance routines and how you can utilize routines to best prepare for competition and not leave things up to chance. Um, we talk about in-between point routines um, or during performance routines, uh, it, as well as the 16-second cure that was developed by Jim Lear. And I'll um, get into that a little bit. And then we talk about post-performance routines and how to develop more of a systematic way of learning from competition. Um, Brian and I were talking a little bit off-air that, you know, Oftentimes, we talk a lot about what what takes place during a match, right? Trying to do everything you can, um, as well as you know, to to some extent, everything leading up to a match and preparation. But the what what you do after a match and how you review and how you physically um, rest and recover after a match often gets neglected um, or doesn't get as much attention. So um, that's that's really that that third piece. So we talked about the before. Um, you know, pre-performance, during performance, and post-performance. Um, but uh, the, the one that I really wanted to highlight is um, during performance or in between point routines. And we talked a lot about the 16-second cure um, 
which was developed by Jim Lear right around 30 years ago. Um, and, you know, Jim Lear has, has worked with, uh, a, a, you know, countless professional uh, ten, tennis players um, at the highest level, as well as uh, other athletes. Um, and, and really what this, the 16 second cure does is it develops a, a systematic way to, um, to, to maximize that time that you have in between points. So generally it's around 20 seconds that you have in between points and how can you, what, what, what this method does is it, it breaks it into four steps. Um, the first being a positive response. So after the point, regardless of having won or lost the point, having a positive response, showing positive body language, not, you know, not giving any negativity to your opponent could, because we know that that, body language can, you know, negative body language can really do a lot for your opponent's confidence. Um, so not showing any negativity, having, you know, your shoulders back, your head held high after the point, um, and then going into a relaxation phase. So this really involves the breathing. Um, so we're sort of coming from that first stage, that positive response stage of still thinking about that last point and sort of reflecting on it quickly and then coming back to the present with the relaxation, using the breath. Um, and then comes the preparation phase where we're planning for the next point, which isn't um, me planning out a, you know, 15 ball rally. Um, but it's, it's really, okay. If I'm serving, where do I want to serve? How do I want to set up that, that next shot afterwards? So maybe it's, you know, I'm serving to a certain place, trying to set up my forehand um, or going to a certain pattern that I use or on the returning side, you know, do I want to be more or less aggressive here, whether it's a first or second serve, but really thinking about that first or second shot, but, but planning, but really, you know, planning the start of that point. Um, so that's that third stage, that preparation. And that fourth is our ritual. So whether that's um, whether you're serving or returning, um, it's that serving ritual, whether bouncing the ball or, um, you know, a, a split step and, you know, different sorts of steps um, on the return side. So it's, you know, it starts with that positive response. It goes to the relaxation phase, really coming back to that present moment um, and then going into the preparation and ritual phase. So I, th I think this episode really lays out a good blueprint um, for athletes to follow um, those three key stages, the, the pre, the during, and the post. Um, and, you know, specifically during, um, I think, I think athletes can, can really learn a lot by developing their own, um, you know, in between point routine. And we talked about how these four steps are, are a great foundation. Um, but you want to make it your own and you want to practice it until it's automatic so that, you know, it's, this isn't something you just want to do in a big point, right. At, at five all in the tie break, but it's something you really want to be doing every single point. And the more that you can do that, both during matches and during practice, you can make it automatic so that you don't have to remember it or think back to it during a big moment, but it's ingrained in you at that point. And the important thing is to practice it. That's um, when we play practice matches, we often, for whatever reason, don't think about doing it exactly the way we might in competition. So definitely recommend that players try it it's not disrespectful to your friend who you're playing with that you're taking extra time. Uh, the reality is, and I, and I think you know we'll get to this later because we both chose one episode in common here, um, is that you'll find you'll play, at least I hope that you'll find that you'll play more quality points. I think when players take less time between points, we see more variability in the quality of points. You may see more um, unforced errors 
giving away more points. And the whole idea is to is to minimize that and to bring more quality to your play. So it's really that is a that that routine is um is extremely important. And Jim Lair's 16 second cure has really stood up over the years. I think it's been modified in different ways by different people, but really it's still kind of the basis of what everybody is doing there. And those how you do those four stages can certainly be up to you. And as you become more natural with it, you may vary the time a bit as you become better at focusing on that that next point because that, that's really the key. It's like when the routine is over, are you 100% invested in this upcoming point? Uh, and and that, that should be the goal. And that, that could be actually a question you ask yourself at the end of a match is, all right, did I feel 100% invested, you know, or what percentage of points did I feel 100% invested in? And then go from there in terms of improving that. So, yeah, super important for, for all tennis players. Um, my next episode is going to be uh, episode 48, Building Mental Fortitude in Tennis. We based this episode on some research from uh, Mustafa Sarkar and David Fletcher. And to me, the big point from this one, Josh, and we use this I phrase a lot, but it's used a, a good deal in sort of mental fortitude and resilience training is this idea of the challenge mindset, embracing challenges. Um, so often when adversity presents itself or challenges present themselves, our natural tendency is to try to avoid that, to go around it. Um when instead, we should be looking at this adversity as a moment that um, will challenge our skills and improve our skills. You know, Marcus Aurelius talked about in, in meditations how the obstacle is the way, right? The obstacle is the way to um, improving your capacity, improving your skills. So instead of going around the obstacle, go through the obstacle. Let it help develop you. And the same can be said of tennis, right? And we can really combine this with our everything is practice um, philosophy that um, this challenge is good. This is actually going to build my capacity as a competitor, as a tennis player, as a person. I will be better and stronger for having handled this. And so the more that we look at things as challenges rather than obstacles or barriers can be very beneficial to our learning and to our improvement. Um, of course, the challenges have to be within, I would say, you know, a certain range. So, you know, if you and I, you or I were to play a match against Novak Djokovic, that, that's outside of our current capacity. Well, maybe outside of mine, all right? Maybe you. <laughs> um, but, you know, if we were to play somebody within a, a certain range for us, you know, then then we can grow from that experience. So, um, I think that's a great episode, you know, and there's a, we link to some of the work from Sarkar and Fletcher on that. And, and certainly, although it's, you know, their academic papers may be difficult for some to read, even if you just go through the discussion sessions, sections of these academic papers, you get a lot out of them. They don't have to go through a lot of the other stuff if you don't want to, um, but really going through the, the discussion pieces is, is very valuable. So any thoughts on that episode, Josh? I, I think you brought it up. Uh, you brought up an important point of um, of sort of pairing up the challenge with your current ability level, um, which I, I think is uh, connected to this concept of flow, which we actually devoted an episode as right. well to. Um, 
and I think that's that's really important because that's when um, the, you know the, the research shows that that you can bring out your your best performance when those two are matched up the the challenge level and um, and your own ability levels. Um, so I, I think that's that's definitely an important point. But I think um, yeah, I, I think being able to see every sort of situation as a challenge and as a you know as as in a in a positive way um, does a lot towards how you how you start to handle it. I think any sort of situation can be viewed as a challenge or viewed as a threat. And the the big difference is for a challenge, you're going to be eager to face it. You're going to be sort of leaning in, looking to looking, thinking about the best way to handle it or a threat. You're thinking about, you know, what can be taken away from me here. Um, And I think we can apply that to different types of matches, whether we're playing someone, you know, ranked higher, ranked lower, or, or who we perceive to maybe be better or worse. Um, but, you know, I, I think, and even um, coming back from an injury, um, which is actually the, the topic of the, the next episode that I'm going to highlight, um, you know, th- this could be viewed in, in a number of different ways. You can view it as, oh, I'm, you know, this is so unfortunate that this happened to me. Or you can say, hey, this is a challenge, right? This is now going to be my top priority to handle this um this situation, this injury. Um, and I want to handle this challenge in the best possible way. So I think, um, having that mindset, um, that, that challenge mindset really can really does a lot. And I think that that research, but from the two of them, um, highlights that and is, is definitely important to, to take a look at. And as you said, you know, even if it's just the discussion, um, section, um, where it's sort of, you you know, thinking about how this work can be applied, um, it, it's really important to to take a look at, it, and I think people can get a lot out of that. Um, so, as I mentioned, the next episode I'd like to highlight is is episode thirty six, which is coming back after an injury or break. Um, and in this, we talk about some different sorts of breaks that athletes take or or are forced to take at times. Um, one of which is. Um, was in 2020 and, you know, for some athletes, maybe in 2021 as well with some of the challenges um, with this pandemic, but um, you know, having to take a long extended break from their sport. Um, I mean, I remember in March of 2020 when, you know, I was working, I think we were, we were both working at um, universities working with teams and uh, you know, that are the, the college season stopped abruptly um, with the, with the pandemic. And it wasn't just the college season. It was, you know, many, many, many other sports of all different levels around the globe. Um, and athletes were forced to take a break during this time. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think the, those athletes that chose to still use that time to, to work on different things, whether it be work on the mental aspects of the game, work on, you know, strength and conditioning, work on their nutrition, their, their sleep, um, to, took a more, maybe more intentional approach while also thinking about their self-care and prioritizing that during a highly stressful and challenging time. Um, really the ones who thrived. Um, but also, I mean, we, we really talked about injuries and the process of coming back from an injury. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm reached out to when, and I'm sure same with you, Brian, if somebody's coming back from an injury and thinking about that process of, not only how do I return back to the court or to the field physically, but the, the mental barriers, um, you know, whether it be um, sort of these lingering thoughts of that you're going to re-injure yourself um, or, you know, 
feeling that you're you're lesser, you'll never get back to the level that you were, um, or even the frustration that, that comes with trying to return back to the court and not feeling like you're at the level that you were. And, um, you know, when tennis the timing can be huge. So if you're you know out for, let's say a couple months, getting that timing back or even getting the rhythm back on your serve can, can be really difficult. Um, so we, we talked about, you know, expectations, um, and trying to, you know, keep expectations low, um, at the, at the start of, you know, at the start of your return. Um, and I, I think actually this connects to that great quote that we've talked about a lot in terms of keeping expectations low and standards high, um, from Michaela Schifrin and, um, how that's sort of a mindset of, Hey, let's, let's just try to get back. Let's not expect that we're going to, be exactly where we were because that's not realistic. That just sets us up for disappointment. Um, but also keep the standards high and make sure that we're doing the little things right, whether that be um, you know our footwork, whether that be some of these other things that we've mentioned: nutrition, hydration, sleep, um, the, the mental aspects certainly. Um, so I, I think this is really important because it's almost all athletes will go through some sort of injury or extended break during their careers. So thinking about number one, what are the potential pitfalls um, when you're in that situation and two, how you can best handle it and, you know, not expecting too much or not expecting unrealistic things of yourself during that process, or especially towards the start of it, I think goes a long way towards having a successful injury recovery. Yeah. And I know we talked about um, a model from coach Bill Tim called you know he called cap right which is you know when you first start playing you want to start off with consistency you know can you make a lot of balls over the net then you once you've done that you've established that then you go to accuracy you know now can you hit it you know consistently to specific targets in the court and then after that you can begin to add more power to your game um, rather than just coming out and perhaps expecting to be able to hit the ball just as hard as you did when you, you know, you first left, you know, for whatever reason that the break was. So it's a nice way to, to, to begin. And like you said, it's, it's often, Josh, great to keep the expectations low. Don't expect to play well. Um, just relax and just try to find your game. You know, those first few sessions should be not about playing great. It should just be trying to feel the ball a little bit more, you know, um, and we didn't talk about this in this episode, but when we talked to Angelo Rossetti, we, we discussed this idea of like a 3-2-1 awareness drill. And it actually would be really good to use as an injured player, and I've done this with some players who've had injuries, is instead of judging every ball you hit, um, if the ball is exactly the way you want it, just label it in your mind a three. If it was just okay, call it a two. And if it was not what you wanted, just call it a one. And that way you're not assigning good or bad to that. You are, you know, just assigning this number system. And the goal is, all right, can I start generating more threes? And once you've got that, then then you should have the feel back. So that's a really good way to, you know, come back from injury. So I think that that's, uh, so many of us will have breaks at some point, you know. And, and again, we didn't talk about this model as in, in terms of injuries, but there's a, a good model of sort of stages that people can think about is, you know, when you first get injured, there's this denial piece, then there's distress, and then there's determined coping. Um, 
and people like to think in terms of these models that they just move through these stages. But in reality, we're constantly going, you know, we're traversing all of the stages. You may be feeling even two months in some denial pieces or distress pieces. But the idea is, all right, how do I get myself back to the determined coping piece in, in my plan, what I want to do, right? So uh, I think that's really important, especially for younger players going through perhaps injuries for the first time, you know, how to, how to come back from that. Uh, the next episode I would like to talk about is episode 50, which was about how to be a clutch performer. And um, this one is uh, something I've been doing a lot with players recently and having a lot of success in terms of helping players recognize what the big moments are. You know, because if, you know, so what is a clutch performance, I guess, you know, that, or a clutch moment? It's really a, a moment where you as a player, you're in contention for the outcome right the outcome is in uh is on the line you know and typically when we think of clutch performances basketball is the most obvious sport you know game is tied or down by one and your team has the ball few seconds left um who can make that last second shot right that's the the clutch moment and we have these in tennis and um and and the idea is understanding when they occur, because we all know while talking about something like the 16-second cure, we want to be all invested in that next point. It's the most important point because it's the only one we can control. But we also know the scoring system uh, has some points being more consequential than others, some games being more consequential than others. And it's important to recognize that, to be able to then assess that situation, understand what you want to do, there, we, you know, we have some objective goals or a preparation or a plan for how you're going to handle that game or that point, and then you, you know, consciously decide to raise your intensity and effort level. And and one of the things that I've been pairing with this clutch performance uh, research, Josh, is the idea of being courageous and authentic to yourself in that moment. So, for example, if you know, let's say you're returning on a break point. You've got a break point against your opponent. And, you know, you've got a great down-the-line return. You know, that might be a risky thing, but if that's like your shot and you get a second serve, I would love for you to take that shot down the line, right? That is, a, is, is an opportunity to, to um, play to a strength of yours, but also, you know, you having the courage to do it. If you fail, you fail. But you learn from that. And then the next time that that opportunity presents itself, you will have been better for having failed another time. We often look at the Michael Jordan quote about how many times he missed game-winning shots, yet that is the reason that he's become so good, so successful. You have to go through this process, experience it, um, and then make adjustments for it. If we're constantly playing in fear and we're just, you know, you taking your backhand cross court, well, that may be a great return and in some situations the right thing to do. But if your backhand down the line on the ad side is, is a real strength of yours, why not have the courage to, to hit it on, on such a point like that? And then what ends up happening is you make that moment. You made that performance. Um, and so I think that's a really good one for players to think about is, hey, can I be courageous under pressure? knowing that um, even if I fail, 
I will learn something from it and I will eventually will become much better at these clutch performances or these per, or these pressure moments. Yeah, I I I actually would like to apply a quote um, to what you're talking about in terms of the courage and in terms of going for it, knowing that you might miss, right? Knowing that you might miss, you might fail. Um, and it's a quote that probably tennis fans have seen tattooed on Stan Wawrinka's arm. Um, and it's ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And I think that that's also ties into this everything is practice mindset that we've talked about. We talked about earlier in this episode, um, but it, it connects to, you know, let's during these big moments, it, it is worth it to go for it. It is worth it to try, you know, especially as you said, Brian, if, if you have a certain shot, maybe it's your backhand down the line that that's your shot. That's, you know, that's, you know, that that's a shot that you are often successful with, have, you know, hit winners with on a regular basis. And this is a good moment. It's a second serve. It's a good chance to be aggressive and you're going to feel better. And you're going to be able to feel better win or lose knowing that you went for it, knowing that you took that calculated risk on a key moment. And will you always be successful? No. Sometimes you'll miss that shot. Um, I mean, there's that great Michael Jordan quote that we've talked about, um, you know, because of all those times where, you know, he's missed the, the game winning shot where he's missed during those clutch moments that has allowed him to be successful. That has allowed him to make those, those game winning shots. So I think, I think that's an important point um, that, and I think that this quote applies there because, you know, if you don't try, if you don't fail, then you can't get to that point of being successful in these moments. So I think, you know, going for it, leaving it on the table, um, playing in a way that, that you're not going to regret at the end of the day um, is, is really important to producing these clutch performances that um, are so often talked about. Um, the next episode I wanted to highlight is episode 41. And this is an interview with Ryan Harry um, where we talked about, we, you know, he talked about his journey in the tennis industry, um, where he had, had worked at a number of different places, including at the International Tennis Hall of Fame, where, which is how I, I know him, um, but most recently launched uh, Play Tennis Academy earlier in the year, I think in, in February. Um, but this conversation, what, what really stood out to me about this conversation is the importance of play. Um, I mean, it's even in the name of the business itself. Um, and we talked about how, um, you know, how when athletes play and when athletes um, start to systematically build that, build play into their training, um, you start to enjoy the sport more. And this can, um, this leads to number one, this leads to a few different things. Number one, it leads to people playing the sport for a lot longer, hopefully for a lifetime, but not dropping out or burning out as unfortunately we, we see too often. Um, and number two, I mean, he talked about how, you know, building sort of that team mentality or team spirit within, um, within a club or within a, um, an academy is, is so important. Um, and you can do that through play, right. I mean, through competition within, um, you know, within people at the academy or at the club, um, and also, you know, with, with other sorts of competition, but not making the competition aspect, the most important, but prioritizing play and prioritizing the enjoyment. Um, and, and, and that sort of nature of things, 
it, you know, um, and, you know, we, we talked about how the, there's a lot of research. Um, I, I, I know you talked about it, Brian, would love, you know, for you to expand more about it um, on these benefits of play and on how, um, number one, that, that enjoyment and play piece um, leads to players, you know, improving at faster rates, but also helps them stick around in the sport a lot longer. Yeah, I think um, that was a great episode because it, the whole idea of play is something that um, is so central to being human and how we learn. Um, uh, you know, as kids, that's where we develop our imagination. We play these games and um, by emphasizing that, like you said, Josh, rather than training and drilling and so forth, uh, sometimes I think a lot of what we're doing today is almost, uh, there's an overemphasis on, on some of that and, and not enough on the actual play and enjoyment of the game. And uh, so it's a great mission on Ryan's part uh, because if we can keep it fun and you know understand what makes a sport like tennis fun, right, and add those fun factors in, then we get exactly what you were saying before is you know people who are in it for a lifetime. You know, we're lucky in this sport that that is something we can do, that we can play for longer periods of time as opposed to many team sports in which you know if you get to the college level that that may be the end for you maybe high school was the end of a team sport for you and now your competitive juices have to be channeled to to something else you know and hopefully they are but with tennis you know we get to continue to play this and and let's be honest you know other sports and i know ryan is working uh in in other sports like pickleball you know tennis is a a tennis player can pretty much transition to any other racket sport, probably more competently than other racket sports going to, you know, uh, different ones, right? So, um, and I know Ryan is, 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 you know, expanding, you know, he's got a lot of actually recent stuff on LinkedIn and social media about what's, what's going on with his, uh, you know, his business down there. So certainly uh, want to point people to that, but yeah, the whole idea of play and, playing the game and learning to win the game that's that's an important part of 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 tennis and developing here but not making it the end all be all of of everything that we do so i think it's just a great philosophy as like let's get together and play yeah we have to do some training of course if you want to be a great player but we won't, we don't want to lose that enjoyment of of actually playing the game so that was a really great great episode and uh you know, great that you guys had a, a connection working together at the Hall of Fame. So, um, the last episode I have, I believe, is a joint one, right? So we both picked how to play one point at a time, and um, I think there were a lot of great things in this this particular episode that that are certainly worth going back to. Um, I know we discussed one thing was like this formula for playing one point at a time. And we've all heard the phrase, play one point at a time, but it's a lot harder to do than it is to kind of cognitively understand that. I I remember hearing this as a kid, and I think I said this in the episode. It's like, yes, that makes a lot of sense. I really don't know how to do that. And so we presented in this episode a, a very basic formula well, with some details afterwards, but the whole form, the, the idea was, number one, you try to play a quality point. That's your goal. Once the point is over, you know, then we're kind of working in some of the 16-second cure here. 
you recover from what just happened, you reset yourself, you begin to refocus on what you need to do on the next point, and then you just repeat those steps until the match is over. And you try to do that to the best of your ability, not letting the score interfere with how you're thinking so much, at least negatively. Right? Um, and so, you know, in, in order to make this happen, you really have to know what an, uh, a quality point looks like for you. You have to know what a successful point looks like for you. And it's, again, it could be different. You know, Josh plays one way. I play another way. You know, you, the listener, play some other way. And so you want to make sure that you're playing, um, you know, a, a style that you want to play, a style that's authentic to you, one that you find to be fun um, and, and enjoy that. Um, and then understand, all right, what's that? So what's a quality point look like for me? How do I like to win points? How do I like to construct points and so forth? Um, so I think this one really works well with the the um, the sixteen second cure, you know, the, the the routines episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely ties in well with that. And I think what what having a, a good routine does um, is whatever happened in that last point, um, it, it helps to you know it, it helps you to go into the, that next point with a, a much better mindset. Um, we, we've talked about it in, in various episodes, um, how you know, tennis is, is a sport of instant feedback, how you either won the last point or you lost it. There's no, there's no in between. Um, a sport like soccer, for instance, there might be 80 minutes where there's no, no scoring. You're just going back and forth. Maybe there are some attempts. Um, but in tennis, it's not that way. Every point, there's that that instant feedback of being a winner or a loser, and you can ride that emotional roller coaster. And you know, many players do. Probably all players have been through that at some point. But developing a systemic way to slow things down, to reset, to refocus is uh, these are the sorts of things that are that allow tennis players to go into that next point with full focus with a clear mindset that that can allow them to perform well. Um, and I think also what we've talked about, and I know we've, we've referenced this and Brian, I know you bring this up a lot is the most important point of a match is the next one because it's the only one that you can actually impact. Um, you can't control whatever's happened in the past. You can't ultimately control the results or the future, but you can in between points during those 20 seconds, you can, give yourself the best possible chance going into that next point, which makes it the most important because it's the one that can actually be impacted. So I think developing this sort of um, you using some of these techniques um, that, that we're talking about in terms of, okay, what does a quality point look like to me? It's going to look different for everybody. Um, it might look different right now than it did a couple of years ago. Um, people, you know, make changes in their games, um, but really having a clear idea of what that is and then, okay, let's, let's recover, right? Let's, um, we're not going to be holding on to that past point or then we're not, then we're not doing what we want to do in terms of our routine, in terms of putting it behind us. Um, so we need to be able to recover, reset, and then move on to that next point, refocus and really prepare. So I think I think this formula that, that's in the show notes um, of episode 37 um, is, is really important for, for the how, for the how we play one point at a time. Again, it's, it's talked about a lot, even with certain players. I know Rafael Nadal, people often say he 
one of the things that makes him so great is his ability to play every point like it's the most important, like it's his last. Um, and maybe, you know, with all the injuries he's had, maybe that, you know, he feels like it could be, um, but, you know, I, th- I think developing this formula for how you play one point at a time makes it more likely that, that you play each point in a quality way because you're, you're, you're giving yourself that best possible chance um, to put whatever's happened behind you um, and to reset going into that next point um, so that you're not carrying with you that emotional baggage um, from, from the past, but also you've hopefully learned from it. You've maybe made adjustments along the way. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. And I think that should be every player's goal to go into each, um, each point, with that full focus, giving themselves the best chance. So they're not, you know, you don't come at the end of the match and say, okay, 20% of the points, 30% of the points. I didn't give it my all because I was still focused on that last point or that last game or five games ago when I think my opponent cheated me um, or, you know, me being frustrated about the win. But no, I, every point I'm trying my absolute best to go in with that full focus that we've, that we talk about and, you know, trying to give myself that best possible chance for each point. And I think it'd be great to practice. You know, we already mentioned that, you know, practice the routine, but really practice trying to play one point at a time, take the time to really separate those things and see what happens um, to your emotions, to how well you play Etc. You know, and, and again, that'll take some time to get good at. But if you really go out into the court and say, "All right, my primary goal today is to do my best to play one point at a time," and then assess how that went, uh, it's going to make a huge impact on your mental performance on the court and your overall performance. And the better you get at this, um, you will be, like you said, Josh. You know more like a Rafael Nadal, who many opponents have described as relentless because every single point you're getting his best. There are very few free points that you're, you're getting from him. Um, maybe more now because, like you said, he's you know, a little older, more you know, not as fast as he used to be. But um, that, that's a, what I think we're looking for. And so I think combining the formula along with the, the routine – between points, really huge, um, and it probably a great, you know, if we're talking about developing somebody's mental game, that's a great basis, those two episodes to use, you know, going into t- to 2022. So, Josh, great discussion of this year's uh, episodes, you know, some of our, our favorite points, you know, some of the more important points that I think we had throughout our episodes, and um, I'm sure we'll, um, you know, have some more coming in, in 2022. So thanks for a great year of, of, of podcasts. It was a lot of, a lot of fun and, and looking forward to doing it more um, in the coming year. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, if you get more on today's episode, you can check out our, our show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Uh, additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out us, check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.